Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Fix Your Focus. For information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. So anyway, let's get into the Word today. And this is a, not a part of a series, but a standalone message. And I believe it's really going to speak to somebody here today. And as well as it's a message for us as a body, as a church. We're going to go to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, verse 1. And we're going to read a few verses there. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to really try to unpack all the history here. There's a lot of history. But it, it, it basically, it's a time in Israel's, Israel's history when they had been in Babylonian captivity. They had been shipped off, shipped off to Babylon. And they're starting to come back. And they're starting to come back to the promised land. They're starting to come back to Israel and to Jerusalem. And one of the key people was, that we're going to meet this morning is a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king in Babylon. And Nehemiah had begun to get a burden to rebuild the, rebuild the city that was the city of God. And so he, he, he went to the king and he requested permission to go back and look at the walls. And he permis- requested permission to begin the process of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And, but what we're going to focus in this morning is what happens when you have a vision, a dream, a goal, when God puts something in your heart, when you, when you believe that God has told you to do something or to be something, when, when God has told you to take your life to the next level, God has, God has given you a roadmap and you know you've heard from God. And you know it's time to move forward. There's something that will always happen. There will always be opposition. There will always be critics. There will always be anxiety. Someone will bring you an anxious concern why it's not going to work, why you shouldn't do it, why you're going to fail. What were you thinking? Someone's going to bring you an anxious concern. So I'm calling this message this morning, Fix Your Focus. And the tagline The byline is when others are anxious. Fix your focus when others are anxious. How many of you know that's true? Anytime you go to do anything and move forward with anything, somebody's going to be anxious. Have you experienced that? Somebody's going to be anxious. So let's read Nehemiah 6.1. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, Though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. I'm carrying on, uh, underline that, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it? And come go down to you. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Now, again, there's a lot of history with Sanballat and Tobiah. We're not going to try to spend 10 or 15 minutes talking about who they were, but they were basically 
uh, from, the, from the neighboring country of Assyria. And so they were not happy to see the people of God. They were not happy to see Israel being rebuilt and the people of God returning. They were not happy to see the nation of Israel. They were threatened by it in many ways. I want us to talk today about fixing our focus. Turn to your neighbor and say, fixing our focus. The difference between being focused and unfocused is the difference between a light bulb and a laser beam. It's the difference between a swamp and a river. It's the difference between noise and music. It's the difference between babbling and coherent speech. It's the difference between feeling deeply loved and attended to and feeling profoundly neglected. It's the difference between wasting your money and investing your money. Most people fail. I don't know who I heard say this many years ago, but I, I remembered it. Most people fail due to broken focus. Jamal Giovanni grew up in a fatherless home in an interracial family in Brampton, Canada. In an economically stressed section of Toronto, for Giovanni, Jamal Giovanni, Snoop Dogg, Tupac Shakur, and uh, hip-hop artists weren't just entertainers. They were, in his words, like clerics and role models. After failing a literacy test in high school, it confirmed his own hopelessness. He was hours away from buying his first gun because that's how all of his friends managed to have status and survive in this difficult environment. He was hours away from getting his first gun when something inside of him miraculously snapped and he started crying at the prospect of living a life of crime and violence. He knew his mother was going to be so disappointed when she found out he had bought a gun. He made a decision. Something snapped inside of his brain and he got focused. And he said, I am going to graduate from high school. And he began to study, and he began to try, and he began to do his homework. Nobody encouraging him. Father was gone. Mother was too busy trying to hold the family together and make a living. Nobody encouraging him. He began to do his homework. Still, at the end of graduation, his grades were so poor that the only thing he could get into was a general, a general education courses at a local community college, which he got in. But when he got to college, and they began to ask him to write papers about what he was thinking, because he, was, he thought a lot about that environment of violence and gangs that he lived in in Toronto. A genius got unleashed. And he graduated from that community college with the highest grade average of every student in his class. He went on to graduate from York University and then received a law degree from the University of Yale, from Yale University. He is the author of a recent book called Why Young Men Rage, Race and the Crisis of Identity. Jamal got focused and built his wall. 
Well, I deeply appreciate my dad. He was a very, very good man, and he modeled a love of Scripture, hard work. He was gentle. He was kind. However, I think it's fair to say my mom was the focused wall builder in our home. It was mom who had a laser-like focus on one thing. If my boys do not love and serve Jesus Christ, my life is not worth living. That's what she said, and that's what she lived. She's the one who, during a rebellious phase in my life, knocked on my door with an open Bible in her hand and read to me Isaiah 57, 18. She's had the Bible open. The door opens. There she stands with the Bible. And the Scripture said, I have seen his ways, and I will heal him. <laughs> I don't know about you. If I could take a beating or have that, I'd take a beating. I watched her stand in the middle of the driveway in front of this pathetic little house we lived in in Hamilton Street in McKinney, Texas, with tears in her eyes, talking to my brother who was standing in front of his 57 Ford. Oh, I'd like to have a 57 Ford today. He was standing in front of his 57 Ford with this broken transmission strewed on the ground, begging him, Joe, would you please go to church tonight? He went to church that night. He got saved. He turned 70 this week, and... He still has an outstanding ministry to homeless in Atlanta, Georgia. All the homeless people all over Atlanta call him Pastor Joe. Mom stayed focused and built her wall. She saw her boys. And I know she's looking down from heaven, seeing a bunch of grandkids who love Jesus today. I know that because she built her wall and she stayed focused and if I had time, I would tell you about all the torture she went through with her family that told her she was crazy. She was crazy to go to that Pentecostal church. She was out of her mind. She was going to ruin her children. <laughs> Some of you are experiencing that today, and that's part of why you're having trouble focused, because you've got family that's telling you. You're taking your kids to that church. You're putting them in, enrolling them in that private Christian school. They're not going to be able to make it in the world. 33 years ago, I had a meeting with God. I'm talking about focus. I'm still talking about focus. 33 years ago, you say, he's very unfocused. He's all over the place. <laughs> I'm still talking about focus. 33 years ago, I had a meeting with God in the sanctuary of a little church in Jacksonville, Florida, which I wrestled with the idea of staying there or returning to New England to build a church. I was haunted by all the reasons I had left here in the first place personal frustrations, my own inability to stay focused, by the way, and my own inability to stay focused when faced with the reality, with the reality of critics, with the reality of people who are unhappy, with the reality of people who are, oh, I'm leaving your church and going to another church, and all that stuff. But that day, I went to my car, and I turned on the radio, and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to go to the car and count radio stations. That's a weird thing to do, right? I went to the car, and I counted radio stations, I counted nine gospel radio stations. Then I felt led of the Spirit to go open the yellow pages of the phone book. And I went in the little office there in the little church we were pastoring. And I opened up the yellow pages and I counted 32 Assemblies of God churches. That's what we are, if you didn't know that. 32 Assemblies of God churches. I, count, I, I lost count of all the Baptists. That there, there were so many Baptist pages, just flipping pages of the yellow pages, charismatics, Pentecostals, non-denominational, mainline churches, pages, pages and pages. 
You'd think every dog would be saved in Jacksonville. But I said to God that day, I said, God, I think I'm taking water to the sea. I need to go back to New England where there are entire communities that don't have a church that preaches the gospel. Building the wall has nothing to do with immigration, by the way, but about the things, listen to me, listen carefully. It's about the things that you've been called to treasure and protect. The things in your life that God has every intention of blessing, but he can only do it if you get your focus fixed on building the wall of protection around the gift, the priority, the people, and the calling that he's put in the middle of your life. You don't have to fail, but you will fail if you don't fix your focus. Nehemiah was this guy who had worked as a king's cupbearer, but his passion for his nation, coupled with his unique access to the king, had resulted in God tapping him on the shoulder and telling him to go rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And through this remarkable series of events that include Nehemiah taking the risk of asking the king for time off, and that was a big risk for him to do that, asking for, for letters from the king to get materials to build the wall, Nehemiah began to make amazing progress. But an oppositional group led by, as I've already mentioned, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and a group of people that we don't really know much about. They were called the Arabs. Nehemiah, they begin to oppose him. And Nehemiah, they sent Nehemiah a message trying to break his focus. But Nehemiah said the ten words that every person who hopes to maintain unbroken focus has to learn. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. I cannot stop to talk to you. I cannot stop to have a meeting with you. Nehemiah did three key things that are essential that I want to share with you in the next few minutes. Nehemiah, number one, found out what mattered to God. Number two, Nehemiah didn't try to resolve other people's anxiety. Some of you, that's just all you could go home now because all you needed to hear was I need to quit trying to resolve other people's anxiety. Number three, he magnified the purpose and power of God to realize the performance of God. Jay, I need you to do me a favor. I just forgot something that's very important to this sermon. My backpack is up in that lab and I want you to bring me my magnifying glass because I need that magnifying glass. I don't need it for, I don't need it for like an hour from now. <laughs> No, no, we're not going to be with that long. Just like 50 minutes. <laughs> Nehemiah found out what mattered to God. I went to Jerusalem, he said, in verse 11. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone my God, what my God had put in my heart. Notice it says, what my God had put in my heart for me to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So, what in your life matters to God? And God has this wonderful, wonderful way in everybody's life of giving you something that matters to you and matters to Him. God has given every one of you something in your life that matters to you and it matters to to God. We talk about kids a lot around here. It's, that's, that's one of those things that matters to you and matters to God. 
God will give you a burden and a focus that matters to you and matters to God. I have never, ever had God call me to do something that I didn't really want to do. Now, there were always things about the assignment I didn't want to do, of course. But I've never had God give me a burden that I didn't really want. I've never had God make me do something that I didn't really, that I totally resisted. I remember going into that little building down on Grant Street, and, and through a series of miracles, we, we got there. And I went into that little building on Grant Street. Sherry was not able to come with me on that trip. And so I remember calling Sherry on the phone, saying, and, and I met the seven people in that tiny little building downtown, and my heart was so full of joy. I was so excited about this little church, this little building, and this little group of people. Sam and Tilly Reddy, and their daughter with cerebral palsy, and Mark and Cindy Bro and their two children. Those were the people that were there that day. And I was so excited. I, to me, it felt like a church of a thousand. I was so excited about being here. I was so excited about being in this community. It was not a pressure. It was not, oh God, do I have to do this? And I called Sharon the phone. I said, this is it. We're home. And God worked in so many miraculous and marvelous ways. And, and I, I remember driving up in that Ford Tempo from southern Florida, and, and, and it started to leak oil and just stopped on 95 coming through Providence. And we, had, we, didn't, have, we didn't have any money. I don't remember, Sherry, one moment when we were discouraged, though. I don't remember one moment when we said, what, why are we doing this? I don't remember one moment. I remember my, my brother-in-law lived in Providence and he came out and I don't know what we were thinking or why we did this. I, I would never do that. You ever look back over your life and you go, I would never do that again. Why did I do that? But uh, instead of, I don't, I must not have had AAA or anything because we took a nylon rope and tied the bumper, tied my, my bumper onto his bumper and he pulled us down 95 to a, <laughs> to a garage. And then I got the car back, and, and it started leaking oil again, and I went back to the garage, and the garage was gone. <laughs> we, never, we never lacked. And, and that was another miracle, how we got a car. And we, we, no money, we got a car. And, and I, you know, I, got a, I got a job working for a, a construction company, and and I'd never worked for a construction company before. I got, a, I got an office job being office manager for a construction company. And that, that's a, that'd take 30 minutes to tell you that story of how that happened and, and how God provided. And, 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 of course, we've told you, you've, you've been around or you've heard the story of Jason sliding down the, the fire pole at Burger King and breaking his hip. And we were, we were praying God for healing. And you know, all of a sudden, when you have no money, you have this... Faith for healing. <laughs> you become anti-doctors. We don't. <laughs> we were like, and you know, I remember the day Sherry calls me. Finally, she said, "Phil, we got to do something." I said, "Well, just take him to the doctor. Go to the emergency room." She, on the way back from the emergency room, she opens up the mailbox, and there was a, a letter and a check from somebody we barely knew, who said, and, and and the check was just a few dollars more than the than the 
emergency room visit, and it was, this is for your health insurance needs. Well, we didn't spend it on health insurance. We spilled it on the doctor's bill. I ask you three questions today about what matters to God. What things in your life has the welfare of other people at the center? Jamal Javani, who I talked about earlier, it was his, he cared about his mother. He began to care about the other young men who were around him. And he writes this tagline, they went to jail, I went to Yale. Question number two, what values in your life have eternal value? You you have a burden for a lot of things. You care about a lot of things. You care about people liking you. And you 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 may care about being popular. And you may care about making money and you may care about a lot of things and that's okay God's okay with you caring about a lot of things you may you may care that Antonio Brown is coming to the Patriots you may you you may care about that right that's okay to care about a lot of things but they're not worth your focus they're not worth your focus if they don't have eternal value my mother was concerned about her boys because she believed her boys were, were were eternal people who were going to live forever in heaven or hell. She believed that with all of her heart. She believed we were were eternal beings. And that's why it mattered far more to her that we loved Jesus and served Jesus than if we got a college degree. Question number three. What things has God spoken very clearly about in His Word? Nehemiah was full of the Word of God. He was full of the Torah. He was full of the Torah, and the Torah said said to him that the apple of God's eye was the Jewish people, was his race. The Torah said to him that Jerusalem was the city of God. The Torah said to him that the land of promise, the boundaries boundaries that extended from the Jordan to the Euphrates River, it, it said to him, it said to him, this is what God matters to God, and this has eternal value, because someday the city of David will last forever, and God had promised Abraham, and he knew the promises of Abraham. Two things he knew was the promises of God to Abraham, and the promises of God in the Torah, and he knew the promise to Abraham was in the seed of Abraham would all nations be blessed forever. He found something that mattered to God, that had the welfare of other people at the center, that had eternal value, and that were clearly spoken about in the Word of God. Let me go to the second important thing about Fixing your focus that Nehemiah learned is Nehemiah didn't try to resolve other people's anxiety. When the, when the adversary wants to break your focus, he will inspire anxiety in someone who will demand your attention. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arabs. They were anxious, and they were anxious for good reason. This nation was going to rise up next to them. And sometimes nations attack other nations. This nation was going to rise up and there was going to be competition for resources. There were reasons to be anxious. You know what anxiety leads to? And anybody 
Anybody who's been married knows this. Anxiety, and, and because I'm not very good at this, and, and sometimes most marital fights that Sherry and I have had is because I responded poorly to her anxiety. Sherry's anxious about going the most direct route anywhere we travel. And I like to go the scenic route. Or however way I feel to go. I'm a feeler. She's a thinker. So I want, I want to go the way I feel. And if I want to have a good day, I want try to put down her anxiety. See? Think about it. Think about every difficult battle you've ever had with anybody in your life, and I'll bet you anything, anxiety was at the root of it. The Bible says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry in chapter 4, verse 1. You know, anxiety leads to anger. People that are angry now were anxious a few minutes ago. They were anxious about something, and you didn't deal with it properly, and so their anxiety moved to anger. And anger, anxiety moves to anger, and then it moves to something that we call sabotage. When you're anxious and your anxiety doesn't get dealt with, you move to anger, then you move to sabotage. You are going to sabotage whatever the person is perceived as the leader in that situation, whether it's in the home or the church or the job, you are going to quietly sabotage everything they try to do. When Sanballat and Tobiah, or when Sanballat, I'm sorry, the word Tobiah is not there, Verse 3, when they heard that we were building the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. And he ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of the associates in the army of Samaria, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Anxious people become critical, you know that. Will, will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed upon it, he would break down their wall of stones. Anxious people, how, how many of you know that anxious people do not move into being complimentary? You don't move from being anxious to being affirming. You move from anxiety into being critical, into being uh, difficult. The enemy will try to convince you, see. And by the way, there, there's, there's a legitimate place for criticism, and there's a legitimate place to stop and meet with people that are upset. That this little story doesn't describe how every, every uh, uh, relationship situation should work. But I will tell you, in every relationship, in every relationship, you must not let other people's anxiety deter you from the path that God has laid out for you. The enemy will try to convince you, for instance, that you're mean and unchristian if your decisions are making other people unhappy. We live in a hypersensitive world, don't we? Well, the mother of all sins is to be the source of someone else's anxiety. 
Some of you football fans like myself remember 2003 when the Patriots let Lawyer Malloy go. You remember? Sad day, tough day. For, he'd been with the Patriots for seven years. They wanted to cut his, cut his salary, and he didn't want to do it. They got rid of him. They played Buffalo, which he went to Buffalo. Next week, the next, following week, they played Buffalo, and Buffalo beat them 31-3. to Every, All the news media was Belichick's players all hate him. What did Belichick say? I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure I could, I could get it. It is what it is. I believe that's what he said. It is what it is. You know what? They won the Super Bowl. You know why they won the Super Bowl? Because they had a leader who didn't listen to the critics and who didn't listen to the anxiety that was created by a decision that they made. Look at it this way. You know God has elevated you and given you power when people start trying to make you responsible for their composure. But don't use your power for soothing all the critics or you will fail. I said, don't use your energy and your power to try to keep everybody happy or soothe everybody's anxiety. Look at it this way. God has given... Look at what he said. See, see there are two... I'm sorry, I got, I got a little confused there. Let me get back to my point. There are two groups of people. I'm going to talk personally now about this church. There are two groups of people, those who want to help us build this church. And there are people who don't. But you know what? I only have enough tears for one group. I only have enough tears for the people who want to help us build it and reach the community for Christ. I don't have enough tears and I don't have enough time to meet with everybody who doesn't. I have enough tears for everybody who says we want to put our shoulder to the plow and we want to build the wall and we want to see God do what He wants to do and we're excited about what God is doing. I have enough passion and I have enough time and I have enough emotion, but I do not have, I literally don't have enough time and enough emotion, enough emotional energy and enough power to sit and talk to everybody who has a problem. I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot come down. You know, th th think about it this way. We're talking about, at our church, five, 600 people. If everybody showed up at the same time, you know. There's never, there's never a, a week or two-week period in my life when somebody is not unhappy with me about something. And many times predicting that if I keep leading the way I'm leading, I will destroy the church. There's not, there's not any period of time when, when someone's not leaving the church. Now, now there's always more people coming, but there's never a period of time when someone's not making their exit, strat, exit plans. And back in the early days of my ministry, I tried to have meetings with everybody 
who was leaving. But if I have a meeting with everybody who's leaving, I will meet at least a couple hours a week or three hours a week just with people who are leaving. And they're leaving anyway. They still leave. You give them two, three hours of your time, and they're not, most of the time, they're not even sure why they're leaving. They're just unsettled. I know I'm not talking about people who move away. They're just unsettled. They've just seen greener pastures somewhere else or whatever. And a guy named Nelson Searcy really set me free years ago, who's a, a guy who has a great church in New York City. He said, stop doing exit interviews. I don't do exit interviews anymore. I mean, someone, someone asked to meet with me, I will, by the way. You know? So many times people, sometimes people say, we want to meet with you, Pastor, we want to explain what's going on. And by all means, I do that. But I'm talking about chasing people down, trying to find out, what did I do wrong? How did I fail you? How did I let you down? If, you, if you'll just stay, I'll do better. <laughs> you will drive yourself crazy. If you try to fix everybody's anxiety, if you try to solve everybody's problem, let me tell you a secret to succeeding in life. Raise your threshold for other people's pain. Did you get that? How did that go over? Does anybody want to think you can do that? Raise your threshold for other people's pain. It's a lot easier than raising your own threshold for pain. <laughs> I'm not suggesting being insensitive. I'm not suggesting not listening to people. I, I do it all the time. I'm suggesting, what I'm saying is, don't let anything stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Don't let anything stop you from building what God has called you to build. You will, you will, never, you will never get it all right. You will never be perfect. You will always be making enough mistakes that, uh, that, uh, that if not for the grace of God, you would fail. All of us, Amen. Uh, you know, you know there, have you heard of the crab mentality? It's a thing. In fact, I didn't know, but it, I actually found it on Wikipedia. Wikipedia has an article about the crab mentality. I'm, I'm just going to read it to you. I think it's kind of fun. It says, The metaphor is derived from a pattern of behavior noted in crabs when they are trapped in a bucket. While any one crab could easily escape, its efforts will be undermined by the others, ensuring the group's collective demise. The analogy in human behavior is claimed to be that members of a group will attempt to reduce the self-confidence of any members who achieve success beyond the others. You're being really quiet on this. Is this? Out of envy, resentment, spite, conspiracy, or competitive feelings to halt their progress. And, I, and I, I went and looked up all these pictures and videos, and sure enough, pot crabs in a bucket, you don't have to put a lid on it. Because one starts to climb out, the others grab them and pull them down. <laughs> That's what it's like when you're around unsanctified human beings. That's why you need to find out what God has called you to do. And it's not all related to building this church. It's related to building your family, building the career that God has called you to build, building the life, managing your own personal health, and 
for so many of you in this room, it's about the ministry, the God, the great gift that God has put in you to do for him and his kingdom what you can't imagine you will ever get to do, but you will do it if you get focused and get your focus fixed. Amen? If you want to get to the end of your life with a dream that God has for you, nothing more than still a dream, just try to fix everyone else's emotional pain and try to be the source of joy for every other person that your decision brings stress to. The people who demand you care how they feel usually don't care how they're making you feel. <laughs> Jason like that. The peop- I'll, I'll read it again since Jason, Pastor Jay liked it. The people who demand you care how they feel usually do not care how they're making you feel. We lose momentum. I'm going to read this. We lose the momentum for our lives and for our church because we want to appear reasonable. So we lose our obsession with bringing people to Christ and growing people into the image of Christ, saving our children from the powers of hell, and living in the personal joy of the Lord that he has promised to answer our critics. It's a bad use of time. Time is the most valuable thing that we have because it is the most irrevocable Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that from prison, of all places. If you want to drive the devil crazy, just don't talk to him. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. It doesn't say anything about talking to the devil. It says resist. The most resistant people I know are the people who won't talk to me. (laughs) What Nehemiah and Jesus had in common was that their words were few. Nehemiah, four times, chapter 6, verse 4, four times sent them the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. That drives the devil crazy. Would you just say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Become a broken record to the devil. Proverbs 17, 27, a truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Drive the devil crazy by repeating the same thing over and over to him. If you try to have a conversation with the devil, you'll end up reasoning your way to wrong conclusions. The reason I don't overly condemn people who believe in abortion, and I'm sure there are people in this room who do, by the way, the reason I don't overly condemn you, even though I disagree with you, is because there's a logical way to think your way to believing it's the right thing to do. We've heard that with the political leaders. There's a logical way. Things can be logical, but they're not truth. And we can have that conversation privately if you want to have it. Let me finish up here today. Nehemiah magnified the purpose and power of God to realize the performance of God. That's why I needed my magnifying glass. God has put up in everybody's hand a magnifying glass, and we get to choose where we put our magnifying glass. We can place our magnifying glass on the words of our critics, on Aunt Matilda, who doesn't like the way you're raising your kids. You can put your magnifying glass on what she's saying. Or you can put your magnifying glass on the Word of God and the presence of God and, and, the, and, and the goodness of God. David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. 
Nehemiah, I love that guy because he's up there on that wall building and he's got his magnifying glass and he's hearing the letter, come down and talk to us. That wall you're building is not going to work. That's not going to succeed. That thing, if a fox runs on it, it's going to break down. You won't even hold up a fox. How's it going to cop an invading army? And, you know, Nehemiah had his magnifying glass and he could have put his magnifying glass on the letter that he's getting from Tobiah. That's what some of you would do. You put your magnifying glass on every little criticism. And I used to do that, man. I used to get those emails and I would just read them over and over again, just, just sucking all the meaning out of what people were saying. You know, Pastor Phil, you've got, you got too many family in leadership. You can't run a church having that many family in leadership. And I would just read that over and over. And I'd write them a long email back and then they'd write me a longer one and then I'd write them a longer one. And by the end of the time thing, we're, write, we're written a book. And I've written a book on why family and ministry is of God. And they still leave the church. <laughs> I have learned. I've learned never to say I've learned, but I'm learning. I'm learning to put my magnifying glass on the promises of God. I've learned to put my magnifying glass on what God is doing in this place and what God wants to do in this place. I've learned to put my magnifying glass on the lives that are being changed by the grace of God in this room. I've learned to put my magnifying glass on the gifts and the talents that are being expressed. I've learned to put my magnifying glass on the huge financial, sacrificial gifts that some of you are giving to see the work of God done. I've learned to put my magnifying glass on this marvelous group of students that I see here every Every day in this place, I've learned to put my magnifying glass on thus saith the Lord. What are you magnifying? That's what I want. I want you to remember this magnifying glass all week. All week. And I want you to say, what am I magnifying? If you will magnify God, you won't be discouraged. If you will magnify what God is saying to you, you won't be discouraged. If you will magnify what the Holy Ghost is saying in your heart, you won't get discouraged. But if you magnify what some people are saying or you magnify what the news media is saying, you will get, a, you will get frightened and, 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 and discouraged. You must fix your focus. Nehemiah 6.15. So the wall was completed. In the 25th of Elul, in 52 days, when all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were afraid. <laughs> man, somebody say amen. amen. And lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. No power in hell, the song says. No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here by the power of Christ, I stand. You aren't going to realize the performance of God. And here's one, here's one reason I don't pay a, a lot of attention to critics anymore. Not because they're wrong. They usually have some truth. Usually a critic has something that's correct. But the Bible says we're saved by grace, not by works. You say, well, saved, that means when you die, you'll go to heaven. No. Yeah, it means that, yes. 
Saved means God's past, present, continuous action to make you flourish. Now, do I need to say that again? Somebody needs to write that down. God's past, present, continuous action to make you flourish. That. So our success is not dependent on me being perfect. It's not dependent on me not making any mistakes. I, am, I succeed by grace. I don't succeed by works. Now, it's hard work. It was hard work to build that wall. But he said the success wasn't because we worked hard. The success was because God helped us. Boy, somebody, somebody, I mean, somebody ought to be acting Pentecostal right now in this place. I mean, somebody, somebody old timers that knows how, to, knows how to dance a jig, you ought to be up right now just to dance, you know. I can still see Sister Foster in my home church. She sat right there. She sat right there, and when the pastor would hit a good point, she would do this. <laughs> we, need a, we need a Sister Foster around here. We will work hard, but we will not win because we work. We will win because God is on our side. Let's stand. Lord, thank you. Let's just, let's just give God praise right now. Some of you are discouraged today. Some of you, this is, I know I talked about the church a little bit, but it's not about some of your personal life, man. You need this word for your personal life. You need this word for your family. You need this word for your, your, you need this word for yourself. And you're depressed and you're discouraged here today. And the reason you're depressed and discouraged is because you're absorbing everybody's anxiety. You're absorbing the anxiety of your spouse. You're absorbing the anxiety of your kids. You're absorbing the, 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 the anxiety of the news media. You're absorbing so much anxiety. And I'm going to give you permission to stop doing it. I want to give you permission right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you are a child of God. I want to give you permission right now to receive the affirmation of God and hear God say, I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to push you across the finish line and you are going to succeed. Father, in Jesus' name, we praise you. We give you praise that you're lifting the burden off of people today who are overburdened and overstressed for their personal lives. And we lift up, of course, this ministry and this church and what you want to do. And we're so excited, God. We're so looking forward to next week. We're so excited about the next level ministry that you're going to do here. God, keep us, keep us close to you. Keep us humble. Lord, no matter how much outward success it may look like or even, even real success of transformed lives don't let our egos get in the way don't let anybody's ego get in the way let us stay small in our own eyes and let us realize we, we, are, we are doing what we're doing because you are on our side and God I pray just this last thing God I just pray for every other church every other pastor that stands before their congregation this morning, maybe the same time, and they have hopes and dreams for their ministry. I pray a blessing on them, Lord. I pray a blessing on Connect and Ashland. I pray a blessing on Lifesong and Sutton. I pray a blessing on First Baptist in the center of Bellingham. I, pr I pray the blessing on the Way Church in Milford.
I play a blessing on Faith Community Church of Hopkinton. Lord Jesus, all these churches that are preaching, I pray a blessing on, on New England Chapel. Every church that I can think of right now, a, a Medway Community Church, that, that I know the pastors and I know they're preaching the gospel and I know they're lifting up Jesus and I know that they, they care about healing broken hearts and broken lives. I pray a blessing on them. May, as the tide rises, may all boats rise. May all boats rise. May every church grow. May there be such an explosion that we'll need more buildings and more churches and more and more of everything good and wonderful. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.